0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So from time to time in my ministry, I've had a certain kind of conversation with a parent who's concerned about their child's spiritual life, usually about how they wish their kids found the same joy and peace in a church community or a practice of prayer that the parent did. I've never had a conversation like this with a parent of an elementary schooler or a young child, by the way, occasionally about teenagers, sometimes young adults in their 20s and 30s, but by far the overwhelming majority of these conversations happen with parents in their 70s and 80s and even 90s who wish their sweet little middle-aged children would go to church. Marion Wood, for example, once promised me $10 if I could get any of her kids to show up here, which was a bet that I lost, um, at least until her funeral, which I don't think counts for that one. In every one of these conversations, though, I have always found myself offering some variation on the same words. You know, they're still young. They've got plenty of time. You've planted the seed of faith, and you've tried to water it, and now you just need to wait and see if anything grows. And it's the parable of the sower, over and over again. Parables are kind of an interesting literary genre. They're not fables, with talking animals acting out a morality play with a a neat little point at the end. They're not allegories where each character is sort of a thinly veiled representation of something else, like the pigs in George Orwell's Animal Farm, each of whom stands for a different figure in 1930s Soviet politics. The question of a parable is not, okay, who's the sower? Is it me? Is it God? That's the question of an allegory. And the question of a parable isn't, okay, so what's the moral of the story? What am I supposed to take away here? That's the question of a fable. A parable just tells a story in a mostly realistic way and then invites you to try to figure out what on earth it means. It points out something that's true about the way the world works and then leaves you hanging. After all, Jesus doesn't always explain his parables, at least not to the general public. In fact, if you look at the verse numbers in the bulletin for the gospel reading today, you see that there's a jump from verse 9 to verse 18. We skip some important narration. Jesus tells the parable, the story itself, to this huge crowd that's so big he's had to get on a boat so they can fit on the beach. And he ends it with that phrase, let anyone with ears listen. In other words, now think about that one. And then in verse 10, the inner circle of his disciples come to him and ask, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah to explain that he's meant to teach in a way that people will hear but not understand. And it's then that he interprets the parable in the second half of this reading, not to the whole crowd who heard it at the beginning, but just to the disciples who came to him later. The rest of them are left sitting by the sea with a story about a sower, wondering what on earth it means. And in the parable itself, Jesus doesn't even give a clue. Many parables begin with something like, the kingdom of heaven is like. But not this one. Here, Jesus simply says, listen, a sower went out to sow. He doesn't give any allegorical meaning. He doesn't wrap it up with a neat moral. There's just an observation about agriculture. Here's what it's like when someone is sowing seeds. Sometimes birds eat them up. Sometimes the soil is too shallow. Sometimes there are weeds. Now think about that. And then he sits down. I'd like to think that some of them spent their whole lives thinking about that, the ones who didn't come and get the full explanation, like the disciples. Especially after Jesus died and his fame and his glory paradoxically grew, and they wondered about that strange story they heard once on the beach. A fable you can boil down to the moral of the story, or even just one phrase, sour grapes and then forget about the details. An allegory, you kind of decode once and understand what it means. But a parable is never over. From time to time, it floats back into your memory, as it does for me every time I talk to someone concerned about their 60-year-old child. And you have to think to yourself, huh, I wonder what it means this time. Because that's the key. Not trying to figure out what the parable means as if there's one meaning but using a parable to make meaning of the situation at hand. And this is why Jesus, as a teacher, is known for his parables, why we still read them Sunday after Sunday, thousands of years later, because they don't just have meaning once that we can understand. And so there are a few things that I notice whenever the parable of the sower comes back to mind for me. The first thing I notice is that there's a huge difference between the most meaningful change and the most obvious change. Every new gardener planting their first vegetables or herbs wants to see something sprout up as quickly as they can. But the more experienced gardener, I assume I can't grow anything, the more experienced gardener knows that this isn't always a good sign. Sometimes, as Jesus said, the seeds have fallen on rocky ground and sprung up, but they'd have no depth of soil, as he says. A wonderful phrase. It's the kind of thing we sometimes call a flash in the pan, something that flares into sudden brilliance and energy and excitement and just as quickly fades away. And you've probably seen this before. The new road bike or home gym equipment bought in a burst of enthusiasm that soon lies somewhere forgotten in the basement or the garage. The new member who joins a church or a book club or a community group full of energy and opinions only to burn out and leave in a huff in a year or so. Literally every midlife crisis in which that which is shiny and new seems intrinsically better than the thing you're already used to. And in fact, if you take this parable together with the reading from Isaiah, you can take it a step further, because the deeper the soil, the longer that cycle of change seems to take. I think of Isaiah's description of what my middle school science classes called the water cycle. The prophet is right. The rain and snow fall from the heavens, thank you to the weather, and they actually do return again to the heavens, but not until they've watered the earth. This is actually a good observation. Rain and snow fall, and they do one of two things. They either filter through the dirt and through the soil and down into rivers and lakes and seas, where they evaporate again up into the air, Or they filter into the dirt and soil, and they're sucked up by plants, which actually end up breathing out water vapor, just like we do, after sustaining it for life. But in either case, the more obvious the water is, and the faster that process occurs, the less happens. A flash flood that falls somewhere, or rain that lands on asphalt and dries up the next day, doesn't do any work. But the rain that falls into the soil and is forgotten, is hidden, is not obvious, is giving life to the world. And that leads me to the third thing that I notice about the parable. It's that if you take a snapshot at any given moment of all those seeds and sprouts, you don't know which ones are going to thrive. Maybe you could guess that the seeds lying out on the road would be sitting ducks for the birds, but how could you know which were the seeds that had fallen on the too shallow, rocky soil and were looking good now, but would soon be gone? How could you know which ones had been scattered among the weeds? That's exactly the thing with weeds. You never know where they are. There's no way of knowing at any given moment which seeds will grow into beautiful plants bearing fruit and which will not. And that's as true of all of our lives as it is of anyone in Jesus' day. We don't know whether the incredible excitement we feel for something now will have any depth of soil. We don't know whether our attention will be distracted and choked up by the cares of the world. We don't know if the seeds that we've planted all around us for a lifetime will ever grow, whether they will never sprout, or whether they're just taking their precious time absorbing the water. And all we can do is hope and trust and pray. The parable of the sower is... Of course, the perfect parable for a preacher's last Sunday before a couple weeks' vacation, because ministers all across the country right now are having existential crises in the pulpit as they realize that they've been scattering seeds, preaching good news to their people, and they have no idea if any of it's bearing fruit. But it's also the perfect parable for the parent who wonders about their child, or for every single one of us who wonder what fruit will grow from the seeds we're scattering all around us in our lives because every one of us does walk through the world scattering these seeds, whether we realize it or not. Every conversation we have with a stranger or a friend, every chance encounter, every lifelong relationship, bears within it the potential for joy and love to grow. If you're like me, you probably remember things that a teacher or a mentor said to you decades ago, that they wouldn't remember in a week. But that seed planted has grown in your memory and inspired you, maybe changed your life. You never know what little patch of soil will turn out to be deep. Only God knows. But we're in luck because, as Jesus' own interpretation suggests, maybe it's God who is the sower in the end. It's God whose word of love is the seed from whom all our love grows. Every day, all around us, God's word goes forth. God waters the earth. God sows the seeds of hope in us and through us. And some of those seeds will bear fruit. Who knows which ones and who knows when? But they will bear fruit, 30 and 60 and 100 fold. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.